Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Every dance with the devil in the pale like it's 1989 podcast like it just podcast like it podcast like it's 1989 podcast like it just podcast like it podcast like it's 1989 baby fish mouth baby fish mouth Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about films in 1989 from a bowl of cereal here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iskov. And with us today is our best and favorite guest who we only give the best movies <laughs> we to. We only give him the best movies. From the You're Missing Out podcast and yeah. our famous episode on Pokemon or Pokemon, it's Michael <laughs> Natale. Pokemon. Hi, guys. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> for having me back. Thank you for that intro. That makes up for how much glowing praise you laid on my co-host at the American at the end of the American Pimp episode. The I love that bastard. Ten He's minutes. The best. Ten minutes of lavish <laughs> praise. Which can I say my favorite part of that that whole speech you guys <laughs> yes. go on. So you guys are going on about Tom and how wonderful he is because Tom actually showed up. He showed up for your show and he was prepared as opposed to our show where he's like David Letterman in the last year he was doing late night where he just rolls. He's like, what are we talking about? Who's this person? I don't know. Whatever. Just roll. Um, (laughs) But what I love is that Phil is going, you know, uh, Tom is just like a wealth of knowledge of these films. And Kenny goes, yeah, him and Mike, they both are. And Phil goes, yeah, but Tom... And just goes, <laughs> I don't remember doing that. If I did that, then that's that's shitty of that's, me. I would never do something like that. That is so you, though. That's <laughs> it's, 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 it's possible. <laughs> but it's but it is true that you both are, and I know Phil would agree. It is true you both are, and you know, 
Phil just has this thing about podcast co-hosts. He assumes they're bitter rivals the way we are. It doesn't. It doesn't. No, I assume that Tom didn't want to hear anything positive. I, I also, about I just, I want to, I want to explain myself just a little bit here, okay? Because there's something about Tom. This is exactly. This is exactly how we started the last episode too. No, but I want. I just want to be very clear. I do. I think that the reason that we were talking about Tom, first of all, is You're he was the good, that was coming up. You're you're fantastic, Mike. Obviously, we love you. That that should go without saying. My point when when we were talking about Tom is this: the specificity of his knowledge is what I find kind of astounding. Like, there's a lane that he just owns where your knowledge is far more broad in terms of that you're able to do speak about more. Both things. great Can guys, I, two both great, great guys, go great together. Uh, well, yeah. that's I think peanut I, butter and chocolate. I think what it is is you describe Tom as an iconoclast with controversial opinions. Whereas you get mad at me for mine, and I think the difference is that Tom has really strong opinions that you, Phil, could not give a shit about, and I have really strong opinions sometimes on movies that you really like. Like, if Tom goes off on JCVD, I don't think you're really going, hang on a second, buddy. But you know, I, well, that, that might very that, that there's some there's some legitimacy to that. I think there's. I, I think that if anything, that that means that I perhaps that your opinion, you know, hits closer to home. So that's a good thing. Yeah, listen, I love Tom. He's he's been my co-host for a long time. He's not firing off any hot takes on like 20th century women anytime soon. I don't see that. Uh, you know, he's not. Of, no, he's not. No, but we we do look forward to having him uh, come on to talk about. Uh, he's, great. he's great. Yeah, uh, we you know, we, we look forward to that. He's great. Oh, we. We know. Trust me. Again, so guys, the funny. last ten minutes of American Pimp, just <laughs> laying it on, <laughs> fucking laying it on. Is that, oh, that I think, is, that I think Kenny would. Yes. Kenny would kick me off the podcast just to do a podcast with Tom. That's the impression that I. Or, get. But no, but or you. I, I that's how I feel. Anybody I else? You guys, <laughs> I, both of you guys are t- are twice the podcaster that uh, Phil is. So you on, know, wow. Yeah. The point is, I sit. I, I, I am. I am here just for the laughs. Um, I'm. I'm trying to sit back, crack jokes. You know, I, I noticed over the course of this podcast, 1999, that there's a running joke that I hope no one else has picked up on. But the running joke is at the end when we rate the movies. I never seen any of these movies. I like Phil's. Like so, back in 99, when I saw this movie in the theater, I'm like. I didn't even know this existed. <laughs> I I I am not the I am not the the cinephile I thought I was now that I've entered the world of film Twitter. So what I have to be is a bit of a clown. And what I need is a really strong cinephile across from me. That's what you and Tom are. End of sentence. <laughs> End of sentence. <laughs> so here we are talking about everyone's favorite nineteen eighty nine movie, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. So Mike so Mike. Mm-hmm. You you dug deep on this film, and and I can say I think I can speak for both of us when I say that Kenny and I are unbelievably thrilled that you watched every single episode of the television show based on this film. Correct, all sixty six episodes, I believe, is what you said that Correct. you watched. And by the way, don't think that <laughs> Kenny's that was, face right yeah. now is unreal. Now, so he did that. Look, hang on, <laughs> Phil. Before you go on, Phil, <laughs> Phil. Before you go on. Before you go on, I want to make sure I lower your listeners' expectations. When we did Pokemon, obviously, I did an obsessive mm-hmm. amount of research, and I showed up with mm-hmm. the hat and the T-shirt and the polyworld glass. And to be honest, mm-hmm. like I don't have that level of dedication to Honey. I sh- Hang on. I'm a little parched. I'm a little parched. Let me just grab a, a drink from this. <laughs> 
<laughs> For our listeners, he just no, no, raised no, a honey I shrunk the kids. Don't cow. tell them. This is premium. Make them pay for it. This pay the ten dollars a month. You can pay only, for this shit. If you're only paying the five, you don't get to know what I'm holding. Um, can I just know. say though? I am. I am like ninety five percent sure I had that cup when I was a kid. Oh, did you I, also like, just seeing that now? Yeah. I just was like, wait a second. I think I had that cup. I mean, that's the only All thing right. I can do. I mean, by the way, how do I look? Would it help if I wore this honey? Uh, I shrunk the audience <laughs> pin from Disneyland or will, will that not show up? Well, would it be better if I wore the honey? I shrunk uh, the audience pin from Disneyland Paris guys. This is God. Oh, and sorry. Kenny's <laughs> face. Let's just, just I, on. I took us. I, I appreciate, I, I, pre- I appreciate. I appreciate the sight gags, mm-hmm. but if any of our listeners uh-huh. are over the 66 episodes of the television show you watched, they're mm-hmm. stronger than I. You mean, I'm sorry, you mean, this is our- you mean the syndicated television show? Check check your local TV listings show. for oh. showtimes. Oh my god. Are you, oh my are you god, having they did a deep they did a deep fake with Moranis. Are you somehow. having Wait, are you yeah, having what trouble? That, man? that is no, that's, uh, that's Scolari. Peter Scolari. Oh, are you that's wait. Peter Scolari? Wait, hang on. Kenny, are you are you having trouble seeing cuz I have the postcard that's a bigger image right there. Yeah. Does that help? It is. If Scolari. you can see That's Peter Scolari. Yeah, that's Peter Scolari. If you, so if you were Peter you, all right, so I understand Peter Scolari and Tom Hanks are still friends. Mm-hmm. They are. If you were Peter Scolari, would you be friends with Tom Hanks? Yes. I wouldn't. I can I can I share? Can I skip ahead real quick and share one note that I have from the TV show viewing? Please, already. please. Uh, give me one sec. Is friends with with Simon. Well, Garfunkel is very sick right now. I don't know that he's still he's he's having his own issues. Uh, I believe. Let me see if I can find the exact thing I have here. It's true. Uh, oh my god, where the hell? I may. I I've been taking notes on each episode out of out of curiosity. Uh, oh, I make the note that. Um, at one point, uh, at one point in this episode, uh, Wayne is sliding on the grass and he strikes his genitals on a tree and makes a big oof noise. This same year, at this same time, Tom Hanks was starring in Saving Private Ryan. So it's these little observations. <laughs> That I wanted to make along the way. <laughs> oh, Scalari's great on girls, guys. I, no, don't get me wrong. Watching this show, and I mean this sincerely, I, I am so fascinated by Peter Scalari. I have a great deal of appreciation for Scalari. I actually really like the cast on this show. I was so curious what it was like working on the show that what if I told you my research went a little bit deeper, guys? <laughs> What if I told you? you I mean, I don't somebody? know if that's possible, but what sure. If, what if Galari in studio? What, no. Yeah. Uh, Do you but, have him on? Not <laughs> Scalari, but fellas, what if I told you I was so curious about why they replaced the dog between seasons one and seasons two that I purchased a cameo from Barbara Allen Woods from One Tree Hill, the actress who played the mom on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> and if you guys want, I'll send it over. I have a three and a half minute video of Barbara Allen Woods <laughs> answering questions. <laughs> About you honey, have I shrunk to. the kids the television series. <laughs> you have to send that to us. This, I mean, honestly, I, 
there are no more guests. There's no more guests, and also there's nowhere to go from here. We, we've peaked, and it's only five minutes into the episode. There's nowhere to go. You dropped all oh, the good shit. Bill, we haven't even touched on the Tommy Westfall cinematic universe of it all. Bill, I have so many pages. Oh, we will, we will. There are more pages I'm here so than I have Pokemon. Uh, My life is empty. Uh, MR, it's been I, a year. I, yeah. This is This is like... Not for, so for the people that listen to our podcast and, and also listen to Blank Check, you're becoming our J.D. Amato, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> Except I don't have... The person tech- who goes so deep. J.D. Amato wishes he was Mike Natale. That's yeah, true. that's true. Director and technically knowledgeable J.D. Amato wishes he was unemployed Mike Natale. I agree. You don't know if J.D. Amato is employed. Technically knowledgeable. You are actually knowledgeable. True. It's true. No, I um, meant he's so knowledgeable I wanted, with tech stuff. Whereas I just know I knew what you meant. Yes. <laughs> I knew what you meant. So, I was being complimentary. Uh, so just to try to get this back on something close to rails. Because it's in going 1989, off many times. Yeah. I'm sure it is. <laughs> in nineteen eighty nine, did you did you watch this movie? Had you seen this movie? Were okay. you were you you were quite young in eighty nine, I'm assuming. In 19- right? You were like So in nineteen eighty nine I was a zygote. Um, I was born okay, in so July of 1990. Um, okay, okay. So, but I, I did so. see, I did see the film growing up. I grew up with it. Um, I had seen all of them. Um, by the way, before we talk about the TV show, let me just think. Else. Yes, of course, I watched Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves as well. Yeah, no, I, I there's evidence. There's Carrie Russell evidence on Twitter. I thought that, that was watched, that. Uh, Honey, I, I didn't what? even yeah. realize there was a show. No, and, and actually, speaking of which, you know, I got in touch with the mom from the TV show, but I actually got in touch with one of the cast members from Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, too. Her name is Allison Mack, and she has a great self-help group that she's invited me to join. <laughs> oh. So we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> she's very communicative, I hear, these days. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, man. Did you watch Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves as well? You asking me? Did you watch that one too? Yes. Me? Yes, Mike, Phil, did you watch Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves? Phil, why would I watch 66 episodes of the TV show and then go, there's one more movie. Should I watch it? Nah. Yeah, of course I watched it. Of course I watched it. Okay, okay, okay. You want right, me to get so yelled at I, on the Reddit? I watched it. I came prepared. So, okay, so you watched this movie when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. At some point in your childhood, you watched yeah. this film. Yeah. Did it? I mean, what sort of impression did it leave? Did you enjoy it as a kid? I mean, I haven't watched this film since I was probably nine or ten years old. So I have not. I, I, I'm, I'm curious here what Kenny has to say. I don't know, Kenny, if you watch this with your kids. Did you watch this with your kids? Yes. Okay. I'm curious what their thoughts are on it as well. Here's the, yeah, uh, I watched this. This is a movie that you know I yes. showed my kids earlier in their lives because it's oh, okay. friendly. And last night, uh, I watched it with both of the older ones and they sure. both, you know, they both watched it kind of kicking and screaming. They were not into it at all. Um, and Rollins, my son, threw a fit after the movie because he wasted his screen time on a movie that sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> he said he only gets so much screen time. And he's sitting, he's sitting on his bed going, I can't believe I wasted my, my screen time in a movie that sucks. It sucks. It sucks. So he thinks it sucks. Wow. And I'll, I'll tell you, I always thought this movie was pretty good. But watching last night, I don't think Rollins is like that wrong. I yeah, Rollins isn't that far off. I think it kind of sucks. Am I wrong? Uh, well, here's what, what okay. became what abundantly – well, can I just I know, can I just I, say very quickly? I want to say ahead. one more thing. Okay. I know it's not. I know the the I I I I believe that the 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 conventional <clears> wisdom 
mm-hmm. is that this movie is not a uh, not a product of nostalgia. Yeah. Not a persistence of memory thing, but is an mm-hmm. actual good movie. It is not. This is not an actual good movie. This is yeah, so- at, at best a nostalgic movie. And it, in a vacuum, it's a pretty bad movie. That's well. What here's I what. Here's thought. what. Here are my here from thirty thousand feet. I want to. I want to answer kind of both your questions, Kenny. The first is, I fully agree with you that that it is a project of nostalgia um, as to why people have fond feelings of this film. Um, I also think that the Joe Johnson thing. This was his first film. We should talk about Joe Johnson at some point, just in terms of kind of his his. It's better career. than his other film we've done, but. Wow, you you like this more than October Sky? Much, much more. But wow. October Sky, okay. like that movie stinks. All right, well, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But I I I think that this film definitely has the nostalgia effect. I went into this film having not seen this film since I was probably ten years old. Um, so I went into it exactly the way you're thinking or talking about it, Kenny. Of this, like, I remember that it was kind of fun and cool, and it was it was a silly adventure kind of movie. Whatever. <clears throat> it's a one gag movie. It's a good gag. It's a solid gag, but it's a thin gag. So it's just like at a certain point, there's not a lot of there there because the cutaways to the parents, half the time they don't even know that the kids are are small. And then when they do, they can't really do anything about it. The idea of like looking in blades of grass with a microscope is insane. It would have taken them like a million years for them to find these kids. Like it's, it's all kind of like it, – it's. From a storytelling perspective, Kenny, it is a bad script. Is ultimately what you're saying. I think well, it's that a, it's it's a, it's a surprisingly limited premise. Yes, yes. That like that I didn't expect necessarily. Correct. But it is a pretty limited premise, and, and you know, initially when I went to this movie expecting to like it, I was thinking, oh, how wonderful! This whole movie takes place within the context of their backyard, yeah. and all the adventures they get in. There are no adventures. They 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 find a cookie. Well, no, their lives are in danger on several different occasions. A, they, a little bit, right? A little bit, but <laughs> this isn't this. This doesn't build on the bit the way you'd expect a movie like this to build on the bit, and it could also build on the bit with the parents that we are talking about. I, I don't think I, it's a terrible movie, but I, 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 I do think that it's like it was woefully disappointing. I think that they. I think that fund. I agree with you hundred percent that fundamentally they never really dug beneath the surface of the idea because to your point like there's all sorts of stuff they should have been doing in the in the backyard there's all sorts of you know quote-unquote story that could be done there but instead really what they're doing is just they're little so they could drown in rain or they could you know like it's just it's they don't they don't go far enough with it um but but i also just feel like i really enjoyed watching it last night because of the way it looked like it's such a tactile movie. I love that they built this shit. When I think about that's the good like, stuff. What I was hoping is that Mike was going to show up with one of the giant Cheerios that he somehow found on eBay or something like that. But, but I, I ultimately now give it some time. But, but I just, I, I just want to say this. I, I think that that shit's fucking gold. Throwing Robert Oliveri, is that how you say his name, I think? Mm-hmm. Into mm-hmm. a into a tank of, of milk-like substance with giant Cheerios is the goods, right? Like, I love that stuff. So the movie kind of worked for me on a purely aesthetic level, but to your point, Kenny, on a story level, it's, 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 it's kind of shit. 
All right, Mike. So in here. I want to cup, touch on a couple things. One, I was when I revisited this film, uh, I ended up finding myself uh, appreciating it a lot more as an object and a, and a curio rather than a full film. Uh, oh, that's that's Quark. That's Kenny actually brought that's in Quark, Quark the yeah. dog. <laughs> Yes, Kenny, Quark got, Kenny got Quark, right. who is played by one dog in the movies and then another dog in the first season of the show, and then they replace him with a different breed of dog in the second season. It's very weird. Um, weird. Here's, Do we know why they did that? I asked Barbara Allen Woods this very question, and she oh also said she didn't know. Um, okay, well, I, I tried. Lazy. I, I have been trying. No, because they go through a lot to replace. They do a whole episode about why the dog's breed changes because of a Zelinsky machine. We can't even touch on Zelinsky that powers the machines. Because I don't know if you know this, the shrink ray that Wayne uses in this movie, we find out in the show. Yeah, well, it's powered by Zelinsky, which he got from a meteorite that an alien gave him because he rescued the alien in the Wild West. Stop it. I fucking... Stop it. This is 100% real. 66 episodes still. Can I, I just want to say something, uh-huh. and, and this is this is slightly off topic, but I'm, I, I just need to say it. When yeah. you that that little bit of mythological information mm-hmm. that you just dropped on us, I tried to watch Transformers: The Last Night today. Yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, a cinematic universe that makes not a lick of fucking sense. Yes, like I don't care; they cannot explain it, and it's just you know shoehorning shit in. That screams the same thing, where it's like, well, I mean, we got a we got a shrinking machine. Why not? fucking involve like time travel and shit it's just it's so i hate shit like that anyway just keep no phil i i love when you watch things like that i deli- i went out of my way i bought you a movie just because i wanted you to grapple with it uh like years ago i bought you a copy of triple x the return of xander cage yeah it's on my show you have still. not you have not Shrink watched rap, it yet but still on oh, my show yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah gotta grapple <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I cut uh, yeah, you off. No, you said the Zelensky. So, but, Zelensky. but yeah. so uh, what I'm saying is it's a fascinating curio, that movie, because it, it mm. represents it's it's an important movie in a lot of ways. Um, truthfully, it is uh, not just Joe Johnson, not just special effects, not just things people single it out for. But it comes at that perfect time, 1989, when Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and all have taken over the Walt Disney Company. And there's a real effort to try and rediscover what that brand means now i'm a big disney Mm -hmm. history buff uh i'm fascinated by it and not in the nostalgic like oh golly gosh you know the fun in the ears but because as a company and as a piece of film history and american history it's fascinating it is the only major studio that still has a really strong sense of identity in the way Mm -hmm. that like you go back to the 30s and you've got like oh MGM, they're musicals. Universal, they're horror and sci-fi, this and that. And Disney, he's the animated, he's the family stuff. And now, so many studios, if you went, what makes a Universal movie? What makes this? They're all so four-quadrant. That effort by Eisner, after he takes over for Ron Miller, to kind of go, let's get back to what this studio is. I don't care if they're all home runs. I want to make stuff that feel familiar. With Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, we need to note that this movie comes in as a pitch from Stuart Gordon, the director of Reanimator and From Beyond, a horror filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And the studio kind of takes the script and pushes it to be more in line with the stretch. A script called Teeny Weenies? Teeny Weenies was the original title. That was even the working title while they were shooting it. The crew members had badges that said Teeny Weenies on it. Um, 
it, I, I, okay, before you left, there's a show on Disney Plus called Prop Culture. There's a whole episode with this guy going through the props of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's the only reason I know that. Um, but they Disney decides they're going to take this and they're going to pivot it in the direction of, and this is what you see when you watch it, this movie is a blend of the movies that Gordon was obviously riffing on, like the 50s films like Attack of the Puppet People and The Incredible yeah. Shrinking Man, but then also this real throwback <clears throat> to the classic Disney films that come in at the end of the 50s with Fred McMurray, yes. things like Shaggy Dog, right. a lot of absent-minded right. professor. Um, and so what I see when but, I watch... But yeah. also, I would say the adventure films of the 50s, right? Yeah. The key yes. stuff is yeah. all that adventure films. Yep. Swiss Family that, Robinson yeah. and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Saturday, yeah Treasure Island. That, like all this, you know, kids on their own trying to figure it out on their own. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I got... I, I got a strong, strong whiff of what you're talking about as well, Mike. So I, I find it fascinating as a course correction for the company. I think it's an important film in that direction of kind of going, how do we get back to what we did right? And Little Mermaid is the biggest example of that in 89, of course, sure, and sure. everybody points to that. But I do look at, at Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as a case of like, okay, Let's try and do the kind of movies that we used to do. And, you know, that's with Disney now. They're not really doing that. Uh, they don't have the same live action output. They're doing a lot of live action remakes. They do take big swings once in a while. And nobody goes to see them unless you're me and you have a Nutcracker in the Four Realms uh, pin set. Um, also directed by Joe Johnston. Uh, let's just note. Shout out. But... I think it's it's well, no, no, no. half directed half directed by, half Joe, directed Johnson. by Joe Johnson. Yes, uh, he did two of the realms, and uh, Leslie Alstrom did the other two. No, uh, yes. Have you had an opportunity to <laughs> have you had an opportunity to opine on uh, Nutcracker and the Four Realms on podcast before? No, uh, no, no one invites me on for things. Go, go ahead, go ahead and do it. You should because, do it because I want to be sold on it because I actually kind of want to watch it, and I'm curious if I should. I've seen I've seen it twice. Oh, I really? It. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, it's 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 certainly not nothing. I, uh, <laughs> I and I understand why Michael, as a big Wild Wild West fan, likes it because yeah, visually, it's as if it visually it's as if like the steampunky stuff from the Wild Wild West part, yeah. be, like became sentient, and became its own movie. Yeah. It's um, it's also an element it's of not, it's not uncool. I think it's kind of cool. No, and I I'm also check it out. I'm going to watch it. I love the fact that to me, like I watched it, and you know, so many movies you watch, and you like so many movies we see. Some of the Transformers films, in particular, you go, this feels like an eight year old boy wrote it. And Nutcracker in the Four Realms is the only big budget movie I've seen that feels like they brought an eight year old girl in a room and went, "What do you want to see? Like, what? Just write a story." That's true. What okay, we took you to the ballet last week. You're making up your own story about it. Okay. Uh 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 so we're gonna have the pretty fairy woman played by Kira Knightley, and she's doing a voice that no director should have let happen, but two did. Uh Helen Mirren has a whip and a weird bunch of circus henchmen. I I saw that shit in three D opening weekend just so I could get this little promotional key from AMC, because again, my life has nothing else going on in it. And in three D I found it brilliant. Uh, not that I uh -huh. love the movie, but like they have, um, they have, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. The ballet dancer. Oh God, it's in the movie. Yeah, oh, Mitzi, Mitzi, Misty Copeland. Misty Copeland do a full ballet sequence in 3d. And I was like, oh, this is how this should be done forever. We should just film ballets in 3d and put them on screens. I love it. I, I'm looking I, up I, uh, the four I, realms. But right I now. get what you're saying because, because like, 
All right. So I, you know, I, I've said on this podcast mm-hmm. that I think cats is, you know, an abomination. Mm-hmm. And the only thing worse than cats is the, is this cult of cats that's pretending like <laughs> the cult that's of cats. Pre- that's pretending like in some way this was like, you know, this is fun. This is, this is a bunch of people looking for something, look, grasping for something to mm-hmm. get excited about. It's all garbage in the worst possible version of what could, could have been, which would have been trash no matter what. Nutcracker in the Four Realms should be that. Like Nutcracker in the Forums is actually endlessly fascinating and interesting and weird and all the decisions, all the decisions come from a place of like, okay, I see like, for instance, True. what you're talking about. The, you know, that is, that is Gene Kelly in, uh, in, mm-hmm. in Singing in the Rain. Like there, there yeah. is, there is some thought behind what they're trying to do and some, something grandiose. It's just, it, it doesn't coalesce in any real way, but at least it's like fun and weird and thrilling and like, what? what is going on now as opposed to like cats was just kind of, it just kind of feels like people are like, I desperately want this to be my thing. And it's a bad, stupid thing. Well, can um, I, so can I just say, I just want to say, don't defend the quick, cult of cats. I'm, I'm not going to defend the cult of cats. Right. Uh, two very quick things. Um, the first is you talking about <clears throat> Nutcracker in the four realms. First of all, it does make me want to watch it. Um, and I am going to watch it. Either later Morgan, today or this week. Morgan weekend. Freeman gives but, the performance that people pretend Ian McKellen. No, did. but I, I, the, the reason I, I guess what I want to kind of say is I look at a film like for, uh, Nutcracker in the Four Realms, which I guess is akin to something like a Jupiter Ascending or even a Treasure Planet. You know, it a is, thing it where it where is. it's just like we gave someone a, a shitload of money and they made something spectacular that just didn't. App just didn't connect, right? Or, or we weren't really sure how to market it or whatever the case might be. It didn't work. Now, the thing with cats, however, not that this is a podcast about cats or any of these movies for that matter, but I, I think that the thing about cats is that, and I've caught it a couple times on HBO because, you know, they keep cycling it around on there. It is, it, it's, it's hauntingly sort of hypnotizing because of how wrong it is. What you're saying about for, about uh, Nutcracker or or Treasure Planet or Jupiter Ascending, those are all swings. Those are all people that are aiming for a thing. They might not hit the brass ring, but they're aiming for a thing. Cats doesn't even feel like it's aiming for a thing because it's just so misguided from from inception that you're just like you're watching this thing being like, how did this mutant thing happen? Now, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, we're, the reason we're talking about all these films in concert with this film is that we all wish that there were bigger swings associated with it. I, that it feels like they just didn't. Within this film, I, I'm not talking about their no, cinematic I'm universe. Saying, we could talk about that. But, I'm saying I okay. even disagree there. I think we are not okay. talking about the fact we take for granted how much of a risk this movie was. I mean that sincerely. Okay. The company was know, not confident in this movie. In fact, sure. they were so not confident in what a big swing this seemed like at the time that they attached... The first Roger Rabbit short, oh, that's right, that's right, Tummy that's Trouble, right. to it, and not only did they attach it, they put equal push behind Roger yep. Rabbit. In fact, they sent out to like film critics and and like writers, they sent out mm-hmm. mini champagne bottles filled with unpopped popcorn. Mm-hmm. Let me check my notes here. That said, start your new year off with a bang, and in equal size, the logos for Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Tummy Trouble. Which, wow. by the way would be a cool piece of uh, memorabilia to have. Uh, anyway, if, so, if only somebody had that. If only if somebody... <laughs> if only... Not only did somebody buy it... 
How is that possible? Oh my god! If only somebody's uh, significant other may have heard. Hey, me. Will, yeah. are you? Hey, Will, are you on here? Can you get some screen grabs of of these things? Because I would like us to be able. I, I okay, can. Great. I, can, I would love to be yeah, able to post I, some of these. I can take pictures. Great. Yeah. Now let me say it would only be. Uh, you know, the only other thing is maybe someone's significant other said when when mm. that person who bought this said, uh, "Wouldn't it be funny if I popped popcorn from 1989 that's in this bottle and I ate it while recording this episode?" And they said, "Please don't do that. You will get very sick. It's not worth it. <laughs> You'll get very sick." It's true. There's a um, so I wanted to just, step in. Yeah, at some point. I yeah. want to piggyback on what you're talking about on the tummy trouble thing for a second yes, here, because yeah, there yeah. was a uh, June 28th Los Angeles Times article talked about how Disney's decision to pair tummy trouble with Honey I Shrunk the Kids was a quote unquote masterstroke, and suggested the film benefited with that. Moviegoers who are unable to secure tickets to the sold out releases of Batman, which came out the same weekend, the highest grossing release uh, with the same opening weekend as Honey I Shrunk the Kids. So the idea. I a hundred percent agree with you that it was that it was not a, a a sign of confidence that they attached Roger Rabbit the Roger Rabbit short to it, but it was also brilliant yeah, in the absolutely. sense that it did generate what they wanted it to do. So and for anybody, kind of just a little background for anybody who hasn't seen the shorts, all three Roger Rabbit shorts that they produced are on Disney Plus to watch now. Um, what they did is they produced three Roger Rabbit short cartoons that are mm-hmm. for the most part in-universe cartoons that Roger Rabbit did with Baby Herman. It's kind of like after Cavalier and Clay was a hit, they made that comic book of the actual escapist comics. Yes, the escapist. Like the yeah. in-universe mm-hmm. stuff. This is like that, um, which, you know, I, I know all the time people are comparing Roger Rabbit to Cavalier and Clay. I'm just one in a many, uh, you know, people making that comparison. <laughs> but um, but uh, it is that thing. So what they did, and and it was a bit of controversy because... It was supposed to be Spielberg was supposed to have some say over where these were attached because Spielberg has a lot of control over Roger Rabbit and Amblin does. And I believe the second film that they attached it to, uh, which I do have it somewhere here, what it was, but there was contention because I think Spielberg wanted it attached. uh, This is it. Spielberg wanted it attached to Arachnophobia, which was an Amblin co-production. But Mm -hmm. Eisner and I guess Casimir were very concerned about Dick Tracy so they went ahead and paired the sense. second short, Roller Coaster Rabbit, with Dick Tracy. And then the third one they pair with a far off place. So these were all attempts to like, hey, can we get people in the seats for these these weird, stupid things we're doing? Didn't really work for Dick Tracy or for far off place, though, to the same degree. But I and and I'm convinced amongst the many <laughs> you say things. Dick Tracy didn't do well. Dick Tracy did fine. Dick Tracy, it didn't Dick do Tracy great. did pretty well. Dick Tracy did not do well I'll, enough I'll to justify the money. That was the thing. Katzenberg very famously said we spent way too much to appease Beatty's ego. And that was kind of... I think they also thought... I mean, they really thought they had Batman on their hands. $162 million at the box office on a $46 million budget before P&A, perhaps. I mean, that's not... But I mean, no one took a bath. You know what? They're on that, not factoring not it. They're number. not factoring in just how much merchandise was produced for that movie. I'm sure they I'm planned sure. on this being a franchise. They had so much yeah. merch. They were going to build a theme park ride. Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers which was going to be you That's riding cool. around in a car using Tommy guns to shoot, like, prune face and all. You would have been just, like, wielding guns in a uh, theme park. That's awesome. It, it's, it's a shame. They, it's a shame. Dick Tracy is a fucking great movie. I, Anyone I who doesn't agree. like Dick Tracy is, I, I mean, Listen, you, tell me you don't like Dick Tracy. Up until, right? up until Black Panther, it won the most Oscars of any comic book like movie. like he loves it. Dick Tracy? I, lo- yeah. 
I was a kid. A man's drop from prune face. Listen, there's no way he doesn't like it. But that's thing. I was a kid. My dad is a huge comic book fan, and I was a kid. Uh, and uh, I that whole rush of Dick Tracy, the Phantom, the Shadow. I fucking loved the Shadow as a kid, and then tried to watch it again as an adult, and went, "Oh, this all looks like a Thirty Rock sketch." Um, but at the time, mm-hmm. I loved the Shadow. I loved right. all that. Um, and I think that's kind of. To bring it back to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I liked the movies, but I loved the show because the show was a lot more, as a kid, huh. like I some of that, the show, okay. I stand by the show. I, I will defend the show to the end because the show takes so, that premise and goes with it. And I really like that. When was the show uh, produced? Because I really have no I idea. Know, I had no idea. I feel the like show, I should. So the show, let me see. I got my, my timeline here uh, of everything. <laughs> Um, guys, we're gonna get into this. It's nuts. Um, so the show, give me the whole timeline. Give me the whole timeline. Wait, let's start you, from let's start from the first. The first of, of just Honey, or do you want the full cinematic universe? Because I can get into that now. I want get into it later. We're gonna do both. So okay. give me the Honey timeline. Okay. Or so, the shrunk timeline, yes. as I call it. Uh, so the shrunk, the, the, the shrunk, the shrunk line, if you will. Yeah. So we yeah. get Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in 1989. <laughs> In 1990, yes. in response to that, because you have to remember also, the two years you've chosen to cover on your podcast are two very significant years for the theme park industry, which Phil could not give a shit about. But, um, but they're significant. But Kenny years. does. And that's, and you I mean, there deeply, you go. deeply so, care so about the theme park. Industry. Is Kenny the guy I should have been pitching my, you should do a whole episode on Universal Islands of Adventure uh, pitch to? Because, you know, that's there. Yeah, that's, that's Kenny's, so, that's Kenny's that bag come, right there. Did, when did that come out? Islands of Adve- Universal Islands of Adventure opens in 99. Disney MGM Studios opens in 89. So both years have a significant part. So I. I wonder if this is, uh, just a tangent, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is, if this is a, a somewhat. Uh, re- relatable experience for a Disney kid. I would go down to Orlando all the time. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. go down to Orlando almost every year with my family. Mm-hmm. And I would hit all of the Disney parks. I could only convince my parents to take one day away from the Disney property. We did the exact I same thing. I have never been to Islands of Adventure because I love Universal so deeply that I couldn't ever dream of not going to Universal and taking a flyer in Islands of Adventure. So I don't know. I, so, I, I It's crazy, but I've never been there. Can, I will say this, Kenny. I have a lot of nostalgia for the regular Universal. I, my, my significant other and I were just there the November before all this shit went down for her birthday. and We went to both parks. Uh, I have a lot of nostalgia for Universal, the regular Universal Studios. And when I tell you, I don't mean to offend you, but I will tell you, Islands of Adventure makes that look like a sack of shit. It's so well done. It's so... <laughs> I believe you. It they because it's so well done because after budget cuts made Eisner terminate a bunch of Imagineers who were working on uh, Animal Kingdom, Universal poached them over to Islands of Adventure, and now there's these incredibly detailed sections devoted to uh, mythological figures and comic strip characters and Jurassic Park. It's incredible. It's a wonderful place. Uh, quick synopsis for the people that haven't seen this film. When kids sneak into inventor Wayne Selinsky, played by Rick Moranis' Upstairs Lab, uh, to retrieve an air at baseball, his experimental shrink ray mini- uh, miniaturizes them. When Zelinsky returns home, he destroys the device, which he thinks is a failure, and dumps it in the trash, throwing out the kids along with it. The four children, now a quarter inch tall, must survive the journey back to the house through a yard where sprinklers bring treacherous storms and a garden variety ant stampede like elephants. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids opened on June 23rd, 1989, in second place behind Batman, but ahead of Ghostbusters 2, Indiana Jones, and 
Last Crusade and Dead Poets Society. It will go on to make $222 million worldwide on an $18 million budget. It's got 77% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and only 54% from audiences. What? Which I think is kind of crazy. Uh, with, with a $222 million worldwide box office, you'd think audiences like this thing, but... I thought uh, audience liked this thing. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film two stars and said, I've been trying to figure out exactly what's missing in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The special effects are all there nicely in place and the production values are sound, but the movie is dead in the water. It tells an amazing and preposterous story and it seems bored by it. It uses the same sorts of visual effects we remember from The Incredible Shrinking Man, but it lacks the same sense of fun. The closing scenes are an example of how low energy the film is. One of the kids is about to accidentally be devoured in a spoonful of Cheerios. The scene should have been milked jesus christ for suspense and malicious i like that delay. i like that that's good <laughs> uh instead it unfolds with lead-footed lead-footed predictability and james horner's music here and elsewhere in the film is no help it sounds surprisingly familiar and seems to be a retread of the nino rota score for fellini's amacord mm-hmm. in the fellini movie it worked um okay Couple things. First of all, we talked a little bit earlier about how Disney was a little bit gun shy in this film and that maybe they didn't think it was going to do that well. And thus they tacked on the Roger Rabbit short to the top of it. But if you're concerned about this film not doing well, don't open it on the same weekend as Batman, which I think is actually a sign that they were quite confident about this movie. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I wasn't alive then, so I have no idea how much hype there was for Batman. <laughs> you know, don't, um, you don't have to rub it in that you're a child. That's fine. We get it. You're younger than us. Yeah. There, was, there was more hype for Batman than any okay. other film <laughs> ever. Ever. <made>. Okay. <laughs> um, but here's what, I will, here's what I'll say. Um, here's what I'll say. Yes. First off, uh, if anybody listened to my Pokemon episode, they know my feelings on Roger Ebert, so I won't get too into his particular stances yeah. on things. Uh, I will also say, just as a sidebar... <laughs> I now know why on the Pokemon episode I sound like I just did a, a line of blow in the Studio 54 bathroom. It's because once you say, I have, when we started Pokemon, you went, I got two hours. Is that enough time for you? I'm like, oh, right. I got to rattle these off like the Micro Machines guy. Because um, <laughs> I have pages of notes and I'm determined to get them micro all in. Micro Machines. That's uh, great. That's a call, great callback. Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say uh, to, to that particular sense. I watched this this time for the rewatch and I actually... Mm-hmm loved how low-key it was because my thing is i just i kept sitting back and going this was number two at the box office this was a hit that is predominantly rick moranis in his yard kids with big practical effects nobody is destroying the world there's no massive stakes the big conflict is hey maybe you should get along better with your neighbor's parents and siblings and hey tell your dad you don't want to play sports i especially because i love those 60s disney films i love those kind of low-key programmers that they have i looked at this and i was so envious of that because i was like right this could come out and it would not be think piece to death or compared to a million and one things and audiences would show up for it. And yeah. maybe part of it is that, yes, Roger Reber called out that he uses Amarcord. Uh, he also used uh, the jazz song Powerhouse, uh, which Disney had to pay a settlement for um, because to release the soundtrack because he just blatantly stole another song in the score. It Ready also sounds Warner. a lot like the Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Especially during well. the breakfast machine. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. yeah. But that all said, like, you know, maybe it's because if it came out now, we would have 50 million pieces about how it stole the score. And then all we would know about the movie is it stole the score. And nobody would go see it as a result because this is what we do to movies. Um, And I I look at this and I'm like, right, this is such a 
a, a pure little thing. And the fact that yeah. this was able to be number two, I'm myself, you can call it nostalgia, I guess, because I'm saying, oh, I wish we could do this again. But it was more just the sense of I looked at this and went, right, this is the kind of movie that you wouldn't make now. You would not well you would not make I, something so low fi from a major studio and go, Yeah, I hope families show up for this. This is a nice base hit for us. I Well I, the irony you know, of what you're saying is that we're getting a Disney Plus on, sequel now on directed stre- by on, on streaming, but yeah. I'm just just directed by Joe Johnson. Wait. That is going to be co-written and starring Josh Gad. I only say it because it shows that the only way you could do a concept like this today is to use the original IP as, as a cover. Well, because, I mean, and I've talked about this before, like we talked about Nutcracker in the Four Realms, we talked about that. Disney does make these swings from time to time. Yeah. And yep. they're one of the few studios besides like your occasional Mortal Engines or something like that. Like Disney makes these swings from time to time. And I always get so fucking mad. When people go, we don't get original ideas anymore. And I'm like, we do. Oh, you don't go see them. Yeah, you just yeah. don't go. It's terrible. Yeah. People, well, well, forget even not seeing them. People treat them terribly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I, that's the thing that drives me so nuts. Yeah. I understand if Immortal Engines doesn't play. But, oh, people shit on yeah. new ideas yeah. before before the trailer is finished. Yeah. But that's... I, I hear everything you say, Mike. I agree with everything you say. I don't think it changes the fact that ultimately I don't think this is a fantastic movie. But it, there, I do have nostalgia for this period as well. I don't necessarily agree that if a movie, if an original idea. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Could break through. I still think that an idea like this would be the idea that would break through, mm-hmm. which is this is high concept enough that I think, and maybe you wind up on a streamer with it. But I gotta tell you, that's that's the whole thing now. That's I, I've, I have a screenplay out right now that's only going to screeners. Uh, certainly wasn't in, intended that way, mm-hmm. but that's just how you sell movies. So I think for the this moment. We might be maybe in a place where original ideas have a chance to get made. Now, do they have a chance to crack the cultural conversation? Yeah. It's a much different question. Yeah, totally. But I think that, you know, I, 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 I agree with what, you, what you're both saying. And I think that, Mike, I had a similar feeling um, that you had watching this last night, just thinking how, 
and I, I hate this word, but like how quaint this movie feels mm-hmm. to a certain degree yeah. or another. And, and I also agree with what, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Kenny, but like the script is, 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 the script sucks. Like the script is just, it's thin and they just, they just don't do the work. Weirdly, there's four people that worked on this script and yet the, the script feels like it's, it's just, it's surface and it, it just, it could have got deeper into it and it could have been a great film. And instead, I think it's a good film with, with its heart in the right place in terms of the yeah. filmmaking of it, but ultimately, no, thin when it comes to anything else. Um, I, I do want to just sort of talk about a couple of the set pieces. There's not, I mean, as we've, as we have just said, yeah. um, I want to talk about the, just a little bit of, uh, some casting stuff. Chevy Chase, John Candy yeah. both turned down the role that ultimately went to Rick Moranis, as did Martin Short. Um, you know, uh, for the scene in which miniaturized Nick Selinski drops into a bowl of Cheerio cereal, its ink was filled with 16,000 gallons of milk-like substance made from chlorinated water, food thickener, and pigment. And the Cheerios are made out from uh, tractor inner tubes, 12 feet in uh, diameter, coated in I want to talk about Moranis for a second. Please, though. please. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I believe this is the first time you and I have been able to discuss Moranis. This is. We'll get to talk about him again for Parenthood, but yes, this is the first uh, time. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, Moranis kind of stopped making films by '99, and Correct. you know he's he's yeah. kind of creeping back in in yeah. in a little bit. I know he's his, be his wife Shlom, passed away, but... and he wanted to take care of his children and Chill focus out. on yes, yeah, and parent, you know so. uh, that's his want, and obviously that's valid. Yeah, sure. Um, Rick, Rick Moranis is one of the few stars uh, that made a very specific kind of family friendly film. If it was a Rick Moranis film, you kind of knew what you were got you were totally, getting. Totally. That's why, you know, John Candy and Chevy Chase and Martin Short, if they make this movie, they're just movies. Yeah. Right? Which is fine. They make great movies sometimes. But uh this is a, a Rick Moranis movie, which was its own animal and which I think I think uh meant something to parents in even Ghostbusters, I think it meant something to parents. Um, he had a, a veneer of safety and fun that uh, you, you don't really see a lot. I, I, I suppose Josh Gad is trying to do the same thing. Very hard to do in today's landscape. For sure. You know, but yeah, I really, really love uh, Moranis. I love that there's a bit of a Moranissance mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, um, popular opinion about him and critical opinion about him. Uh, I think he is a different version of male masculinity that we don't get anymore. I was just going to say, it's wonderful that there was a time when a Rick Moranis could be above the title. Do you know what I mean? And a dad, right? Like, you know, Chevy is your dad. Like Chevy, like that's, that's dad. But like Rick Moranis is also another kind of dad. And I, you know, obviously he gets picked on a lot, but like, I, you didn't see a lot of Moranis movies where he wasn't domestic, where he didn't have kids, where he wasn't, um, I mean, Little Shop, but that's, that's the outlier. Actually, that was 80s. You, want a, you want an outlier, Phil. I will tell you guys one thing about Moranis and why I'm sad he retired. Kenny is absolutely right. This is how we picture Moranis. This is the kind of movie he made. I think he branched sure. out maybe once in his career uh-huh. in a forgotten musical by Walter Hill named Streets of Fire. That my co-host and I are obsessed with. I know where, Streets of Fire, right? And Rick Moranis, <laughs> Rick Moranis is not playing a nerd, a dad, that was anything, early though, right? Uh, yeah, yeah it's like, but he's playing this Weasley, smooth talking prick. And when I watch Streets of Fire, I just keep thinking, like, right? I'm not just sad he retired because childhood nostalgia. Oh, I want Rick Moranis' dad, but I look at him, I'm like, yeah, he could be a lot more than yeah. what he got asked to play and i yeah. think in this movie 
as opposed to the sequels, what I like about him in this movie is that I remember him playing a much more zany, wacky scientist nerd dad. And in the sequels, he is. He's a lot so more. So yeah, yeah, he's a lot more. Wah! And so yeah. when Nick runs up and he's like, Dad, I want to show you this thing. I was expecting him to turn around and go, no, son, I have to recalibrate the. Pl-. And yeah, instead. Yeah. yeah, a real riff on Doc Brown, but he's not. Yeah, instead, he's not. Yeah. he is a dad. He looks at his kid. And he goes, yeah, look, can you just go to your mom? I'm busy right now. And he's talking <laughs> like he's doing paperwork or doing a deposition or doing something yeah. instead of. Yeah tinkering with a shrink ray and i think that's something i really liked about this movie too is that instead of being fred mcmurray in the absent-minded professor Mm -hmm. or merlin jones or any of the other ones Mm -hmm. he is like it it was kind of written like what if we did a straight up regular family movie well it's where i I, you know i totally agree and I, i would actually say that you know, in 89, he, as I mentioned, he's in parenthood as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a line between those two types of parents, the yeah. one that he plays in this and the one he plays in that. And obviously, parenthood's a much more grounded film, but he's also a dad in that who doesn't really know how to connect with his kids or with his child, that is. He's having a struggle. His marriage is, is on the rocks, which is similarly in this film, at least for the first third kind of it or of, so. Yeah. A little bit. They're, they're, they're just, they're not, they're not communicating well. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And I, I think no. that there's, to, to your point, like there's something very sort of, very grounded and human about his performance in this film that I didn't, I certainly didn't clock as a kid and wasn't expecting. On yeah. This, so on the wife is, the wife is insanely understanding. In my yes. Opinion. <laughs> I, well, I I remember. I mean, yes. in the middle of it, I said, I, I I asked my kids, "What would happen if I shrunk you?" And they said, "Mom would kill you," which is what she would do, and she wouldn't be wrong. But the yeah. whole movie—I don't know who the actress who plays his wife. The whole movie, she she continues to kind of yeah. protect his ego a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're a great guy. You're a, you're really smart. You're gonna work this out. Yep. There isn't like. Not that I care. Like that's a that's the supportive marriage. She didn't do it on yeah. purpose. I'm totally down with that. But uh, but yeah, she is wildly supportive of, of him. Well, but I think yeah, it's, it's I think yeah. that comes with the territory that she's married to an inventor. I mean, let's face it. Some of the things that probably fly in in your house, like uh, you know, I, I I imagine I grew up with a lawyer. Hey, go ahead, speculate. No, but I'm saying like I grew up. <laughs> uh, my dad, my dad was a lawyer. Uh, my dad was a lawyer, and if uh, if one day uh, I came home and I said, "Hey, mom, why has dad locked himself away in a room for three hours?" and she went, uh, "He's trying to figure out what this one bank robber should say," she wouldn't be cool with that because she's like, "You're a lawyer. Why are you getting so worked up at that?" But your job as a writer, your job is these things, and there's pitfalls right. that come with that. If you understand that you're married to a guy that you know, it's the same way. Like, you know, if if your dad was a mechanic and the way and, and his wife came home and said, why are the kids covered in oil? There's a more logical explanation than if sure. he's a banker sure, and the sure, kids sure. are covered in oil. Sure. I'd be more pissed sure. then. I will say also on the sh- one thing about the show. I will do more show talk on my own. I don't care. Oh, there's going to be so much show talk, so guys. Much show don't talk. worry. Two pages. But one thing I'll say about the show. The only time the Zelinskis have <laughs> marital issues of any kind is the first third of this movie. When they move to the show, which takes place in between Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, even though it's... In the timeline, in the shrunk line. Yeah, Yeah. because the baby isn't born yet. I will say this about the show. (laughs) Wayne and Diane, every episode, insanely hot for each other. They have the happiest marriage... This is one of the horniest I like shows. That. That's nice. Look, That's this nice. is this show is 
horned up to hell. The, the first thing I watched, I messaged <laughs> Phil directly months ago and said the fourth episode of this show is about how the daughter has such a crush on her teacher that she travels back in time to the 70s when he was a teenager exclusively to hook up with him. This show is batshit with horniness. Um, <laughs> it happens constantly. There's so many jokes like that. And oh like, but what's amazing is in this show, in the show, all of the horniness yeah. and friskiness feels right and you ride with it and it's part of the humor. Sure, sure. In this movie, I actually liked this movie. I enjoyed the ride. I had a really good time. They get to the end. They're having breakfast all together as a big group. Or they're having dinner with the giant turkey. And I'm like, this was fun. This yep, was really yep. cute. That's lovely. Right? I love that. Then it starts to fade out. Zooms back up and the kid goes, I get it. French class. And my notes say, fuck you. I hate this. Yeah, the I fucking hate the, that. The, I hated the fourth wall break I at the end there, it. where he talks right to the camera for a shitty joke. Right? I, I I hated it too. I it's hated so it. gross. Uh, oh wait, Kenny liked it. Kenny liked you it. Hate it. <laughs> Why did I hate it? Because it doesn't. Okay, here's it's what I'll do. Funny. It's dumb, and I you don't, don't have kids. This is a kids movie, but and sure. this is. Dur- the, the, this is directed at kids of a certain age. Okay. It's the exact kind of kids who may or may not get that joke. So my two kids, both eight years old, a twin, Layla got it, the girl, and Rollins didn't. So me and Layla were like kind of looking at each other like this idiot doesn't get it. Like this is a funny <laughs> joke. Layla's like, this is, this is hilarious. And to have that come back at the end was kind of a great little family moment. So you guys are wrong. Fuck you. I hate it. Here's what I'll say. Here's my thing. Here's where I get, and this is my problem with 80s comedies and 80s family films in general. Because uh, mm-hmm. again, 1990, like, I don't have any emotional attachment to these things. Here's my thing. And this is where I get tripped up. 80s movies do this weird thing where sexual humor and sexual references just randomly show up when you're not prepared for them. And like 90s family films from the get-go either go, hey, we've got some teens in this and they're horny as shit. Or they go, we've got some teens in this and we're never going to talk about what they're interested in. But 80s movies, if you watch The Goonies and you're like, this is fun to watch with kids. And then at one point, early on, Corey Feldman just goes, this is where we keep the sex slaves. You go, what the fuck is this? Why are you saying that, that would be here? weird. That'd that be so weird. Be weird. Yeah, okay. be weird. He does. That's in the movie. Here's another one. And this is touchy because I know Phil loves this movie. I remember being at my grandma's house when I was like six putting in the VHS of mm. E.T., watching it and being mm-hmm. like, this is fine, it's E.T. And the kid yells, penis breath, and I hit the Shut remote. Up, penis breath. I hit the remote. I was like, can we be watching this? My grandma's here. That's not appropriate to say in front of her. I got real strung out as a kid because I was just like, what is this? It's these weird intrusions of things that like, so with this, with the French class joke, if this movie was a little more on board with like, Hey, they're teens, and you know how teens it's are. It's still a pretty horny movie. They do make out in the Lego they do. piece. They I love their make out. I don't know why what it is about it, but it's like weird. It's, it's sweet. It's sweet, I, but it's weird. I love Little Russ. I love Little Russ. Little Russ, Russ Junior. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they call him Little Russ. Yeah. But I, they, I like his plight. I like that you know he's just a little guy. As as a guy who's who's eight inches shorter than than my father, I could really re, I could really relate to it. I, so there's there's one thing uh, that I think is not one thing, but there's in an early version of the script there were five kids and one of them dies That's in the insane. sprinkler sequence, which I think is absolutely insane. Yeah. I love it. I wish we got that movie because that movie is a very different movie. You don't love that. <laughs> that becomes battle royale. Like you don't like you you kill it. You kill a kid and you yeah. and it's a different movie. Now there's a movie. 
It's called Battle Royale, and you could totally watch kids. I don't know that. I don't remember Battle Royale shrinking kids to the size. No, of, you know what it is. It's, it's the Incredible Shrinking Man. The Incredible Shrinking yeah, Man yeah. is they, a movie. They kill a kid. No, but The Incredible Shrinking Man is but that there's thing. There's like real violence in it. And it starts out being like, oh, isn't this fun? He's small. And it ends with him going, I understand. Even if I shrink into oblivion, I am not forsaken because God knows me. And you're like, oh, this is really heavy for a movie I thought was just a guy fights a cat with a needle. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand why a kid didn't die in yeah. this film. It's a very different film if he does. I'm just, I, I guess my, my point is that that's kind of crazy and you know i could have been what's funny. interesting mm-hmm. is we're not talking about the movie that is most uh reminiscent of this movie sure. what most reminiscent of yeah no no this movie that owes this movie the biggest uh debt and that's uh the alexander payne film downsizing, downsizing. <laughs> yeah. the worst film ever made i was gonna i thought you were going a different direction but okay i thought you were going a different film okay i love that we talked about downsizing on the the last one i know what i would do with downsizing because now now you guys are getting me getting me rolling what did the the end of downsizing yeah downsizing sucked so badly it was the worst yeah Yeah. but the real existential threat for the people who are downsized is that somehow it's like i mean another movie i hate the departed but we're like the files go missing and all the people who are responsible for the little village no longer know why this little village is there. And now these little people have to make do in the real world. That seems like the thing where you could start squashing people with, you know, normal people can squash them like ants by accident. And then you get some real social commentary mm-hmm. about what we do to the little people in the world as opposed to finding transcendence or whatever the fuck they did in the cave. Sorry. Go ahead. I – no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I have real problems. I, I saved been a much three kings, and I think I, just saved, I think I think I yeah. just saved downsizing. Yeah. yeah, he really did. Um, so uh, I just want to talk. <laughs> let's, uh, we just got to jump through the plot a yeah. little bit here, but uh, I want to talk about the credit sequence, which reminded me a little of Catch Me If You oh, Can. I can um, I can tell you about that credit sequence. I got I got. Please, please pictures. tell us all about the credit. So sequence. I actually love Christmas that. vacation. Well, that's the thing. I love vacation. that credit sequence. If you listen to our podcast, if anybody wants to listen, to you're missing out on our Modern Times episode. I picked mm-hmm. a film for the registry. Um, which is called Technological Threat by Bill and Susan Croyer. Technological Threat is a great animated short by Bill and Susan Croyer where it was half hand-drawn and half computer animation. It's one of the early integrations of hand-drawn and computer animation. Uh, okay. And the short was kind of a joke about uh, this hand-drawn cartoon wolf who looks very Chuck Jonesy, uh, Tex Avery, uh, getting systematically replaced by robots that are all done with computer animation. And it was okay. a, a comment on how the animation industry... <laughs> was on the verge of the hand-drawn animation industry was on the verge of being wiped out by computer animation. It was nominated for an Oscar and lost to Pixar's Tin Toy, which is real on the nose. Um, but people were so impressed with this short that they were hired to do the animation uh, opening sequences for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Christmas Vacation, and Troop Beverly Hills. But what I, I find. Love, oh, I love the beginning of Super Hill Hills. Too. And what's super interesting to me about this is that one of the animators who worked on this opening sequence for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids mm-hmm. is Andrew Stanton, who would later go on to do all those films for Pixar. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, I love an animated credit sequence. We don't do it enough. I honestly think the last one I can think of is Catch Me If You Can. And, and that was, that was kind of a crazy outlier at the time. Like I, I remember being like, huh, I haven't seen something like this in a really long time. Um, 
Yeah, it's great. Um, we obviously, we meet the family, we meet the kids, we meet everybody. Uh, we also meet the neighbors. Uh, the father, played by Max Frewer um, of Max Headroom fame, uh, fellow Canadian with uh, Rick Moranis and myself. Um, but I think that he has a very Jim Carrey style that I never really thought about until at one point I was I walked out of the room for a second and just hearing his voice, I was like, it's so much like Jim Carrey. I don't know if you guys tapped into that or felt that i i felt that a little bit but as i was telling you off mike as a kid Mm -hmm. i remember this role being jim varney and it's not and i Mm -hmm. don't know if it's that he's wearing the fishing cap i don't know if it's at the same time there was some earnest disney stuff going on like earnest ride splash mountain and i just conflated it sure 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 i specifically remembered this being a role played by jim varney until this rewatch when i found that it wasn't but i vividly remember in my kid brain that it's jim varney I, I think it, I think this was a, pr- a pretty well written part, to be honest. Uh, I think that the the secret the secret of this is the way his wife treats him, uh, the mm-hmm. way they joke with each other, the way even though he's almost cartoonish, um, she loves him, and therefore there's something val there's something valid totally. in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I always remember him being kind of menacing, but he really isn't. He yep. really isn't, and uh, and he and. He has a nice little moment that kind of is a window to his humanity when he sees Russ pining for what's the girl's name? Uh, Amy. 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 Yeah. And you could see his you could see his heart kind mm-hmm. of break. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a dad who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. So that's a dad who could have handled his son not playing sports. I think, and it was more. Uh, I think it was more on Russ, but. Um, yeah, I think that that was really, really important that they, they humanized that character. They kind of hit that tone perfectly. I totally agree. I, you know, it's funny when this film started and I don't know why, but I always thought it was a touchstone movie. I know it's, it's I know it's a Disney film, pictures. but yeah. So my, for whatever reason, my brain kind of associates them a little bit. And, and in 89, there's, well, yeah, yeah, there's a big run of touchstone films in 89. Obviously this, this, this harkens back to what you were saying earlier about the Eisner Katzenberg really trying to kind of weaponize touchstone pictures as his own thing and branding things more sort of, uh, specifically. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting to sort of, th- like, I think about sort of adventures in babysitting and, mm-hmm. and those touchstone films kind of are in the same elk with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And maybe that's a false association, but I, I kind of do that. No, I, I get that. I was surprised too when I saw that. Yeah. Well, because Roger Rabbit's touchstone, it's yes. not Disney for whatever this, reason. Yeah. Uh, this is a kid's film. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure, for sure. And it's a kid's film made for kids, and any parent who enjoys it uh, kind of probably enjoys it on the level we're enjoying it. Um, acknowledging that this is made for babies. For sure. But um, Adventures of Babysitting is not really a kid's film. Adventures of Babysitting is, is, a, is a teen film. Yeah. You know, it yeah. really is made for more mature audiences. And there wasn't really a place for that to live mm-hmm. at the time. Um, Touchstone is the place where, where movies like that lived. But th- this as a Touchstone film, there's a little more edge to those. And I think there would have to be a little more edge to this. I totally, totally agree. Yep. It's a little too high concept, I think, to be a touchstone film. I also, so in terms of, of like the plot, because there isn't really much of one, there are just sequences that I think are worth kind of pointing out. And they're really kind of these kind of tentpole moments that they thought of, I'm assuming, on a screenwriting level as to sort of how what are the various things that could be a threat to these kids if they're very small? So you have the B sequence, which is fucking great where Nick falls into the pollen and he's kind of taken off with a B, which again, like, listen, some of the effects obviously don't hold up as well as others, but there's some stuff that looks 
really, really great. Like, you know, they threw that kid into a giant dandelion or whatever yeah. it was. Everything practical looks the, amazing. The ant yeah. scorpion every, fight, every, the Harryhausen shit, yeah. the rules. It's great. Every, yeah. I, even, honestly, even the giant rain stuff. I mean, my brain went to chubby rain from, from Bowfinger, but still, like, I think that there's, there's something great about just what, I don't know, like, what's a threat to, to something that's a quarter inch tall? It, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not rocket science what they're doing, but it works. Um, you mentioned the ant stuff. Ron tames this, this ant and calls it anti. Um, the, the cigarette butt from the father. Which is a great practical thing too. Like it looks, the way that cigarette butt looks fantastic. I also on that on somewhere? that stop motion yeah. fight. I want to make sure we single out. It's Phil Tippett. Please, Phil Tippett did the yes, stop motion work. The same person that did Star Wars, Jurassic Park, RoboCop, mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. That's yeah. why that's some some real high qualities. I think the only oh, it eff- looks it looks great. It looks great. The only it looks effect great. It's very cool. The only effect that has aged like absolute shit. I think is yeah. there is the, the when Matt Frewer is being enlarged looks god awful. At the end, yeah, it looks terrible. Everything else, yeah. I can at least write off as like it was the time, it was this, it was that. That's the yeah. one that I went. Oh, this is this is bad. There's it's just the, the biggest issue they ultimately have is is the separation issue, right? Where yeah. it's like screen and you know it's it's the flying stuff or whenever there's sort of a, a sort of a background a, a blue screen or whatever the screen is that, that they've got behind it. But but ultimately, you know, the the as you mentioned, the ant scorpion fight is great. Auntie dies, um, which is I'm assuming the substitution for the death of the child <laughs> that originally and works better. Original it works better. Yeah. Also horrifying. Yeah, horrifying. super sad. Well, I, yeah. I, I, my daughter immediately went over to our dog and just started hugging yeah. her. Like that, it's a, that's affecting. Yeah. Um, I yep. can't believe they killed the ant. To be honest, like <laughs> I, I, I I don't think they should have. I'm being very serious here. I don't think they should have. I don't. I, I don't think this movie needed it, and I think that what they did was so was so heroic uh, and so brave. They deserve the win. So hold on. In your version of it, the ant is only injured, I'm assuming, and the ant yeah. becomes the pet the pet of Ron. Uh, well, no, the ant goes back to its family, but like the ant survives. They have a, they have an ET Elliot goodbye. Like oh, okay, okay. I okay. just think that I, I really do think that you know it's that that's I get it. one of my another one of my, my issues with Departed is that Leo won that movie and you took it away for no reason. <laughs> all right, all right. They had the. I love that you just called the Departed into the Honey I Shrunk the Kids they, episode. They had the guts, the kids, to <laughs> stare down this giant scorpion. It's true. To only to have the ant die. What yeah. lesson is that? All right, go ahead. I'm just going to say if if, <laughs> if Kenny is going to bring it into the Departed thing again at some point, you oh, before no. we go, you got to let me get into the shared universe thing. I have to. I promise. The we we will. Just let me let me just hit two two no, other go things right ahead. really quick. I just, I'm just saying. Okay. You know. Let me get just the two. The last ten minutes. The last ten minutes of this podcast are yours. I want to hear it all. <laughs> yeah. Um. Quickly, the lawnmower sequence I thought looked pretty great as well. Um. Loved the whole like them being sort of sucked up through the whole um earthworm burrow thing, whatever. Um. Yeah, I thought that was cool. We talked a little bit about the Cheerios thing, which is really kind of I think that's the apex of the movie oh, yeah. in terms of just and it's an iconic show. It's iconic. It's great. Um. The kid screaming, "Dad, don't eat me!" as he's being pulled up into his mouth. It's just, it's just great. Um, I just, uh, it's a great visual gag. I also will say too that I found that the 
it's not to say that the stuff in the lawn didn't look great because it did, but weirdly, I found the stuff in the house to be that much more engaging because it just felt so much more terrestrial to a certain degree. Yeah. Like when you see the like the nails or the wood floors and all that stuff being built and imagining what it must have been like to be on that set where they just built everything to be the giant spoon, like all that kind of stuff just must have been so much fun to, to, to shoot. I think that's, I think you're hitting on what, what I felt like I was missing. Mm -hmm. The fact that most of this film took place in one terrain. Yeah. I think was the mistake. I think backyards can have a lot of different terrains mm -hmm. if you sure. want them to mm -hmm. and i i think that there was kind of just one jungle they were going through for most of this movie I that being that. said i like i'm softening a lot on <laughs> on my criticisms of this film like, it, it really is fun it really is bringing a lot back i think i think my son affected me too much <laughs> yeah it, it feels like rollins just really came down hard on this movie <laughs> so all he really wanted to do is watch Fortnite videos so you know well, you can't watch Fortnite videos. <laughs> I can watch a sucky movie. Um, okay. In here. So we first of all, we do need to have an episode where Rollins comes on to do. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I don't know if you are, Kenny. Oh, but he, I mean, he's okay. he's all for it for sure. <clears throat> so we're gonna let you off the chain now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Mike, you're, you just go to town. It should also be said. I know Kenny that you have a heart out. Um, so if you need to go, I'll stick around with Mike for a bit and I he can do his, let's do this. Let's go. The, the TV show stuff, I'm just going to record separately, use what you want, but we're going to get into the shared Fantastic. universe here. Okay. Wait, before, wait, yeah. wait, before we give Mike the, the stage, yes. Mike the mic, yeah. should we do a quick rating? Yeah, just quickly. Yeah. Uh, in 89, I would have given it probably an 85. I liked it as a kid a lot. Uh, last night I probably would have given it a 65. And now after this conversation, I might be at a 70. That's kind of where I'm at. Oh shit, Phil! You're harder than you're harsher than I am. Okay. Eighty-seven before as a child, <laughs> seventy-five yesterday. Mm -hmm. I really do like the movie. I think every movie in '89 is better than most movies in '99. Um, Great. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not go that higher, but I'll go up to seventy-eight. Like I do think oh, this is like okay. a worth worthwhile film. All right. Mike, Mike what about you? I would say it probably would have been about an 85 when I was a kid because I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I was probably going to – I was coming into this ready to give it an 80, and I feel like somehow you guys have taken it down to a 75 for me. So you have actually okay. – unlike Pokemon, all, you have worn me down uh, a little bit. I'm uh, on the, I'm on the, the highest place. of the group. You know, I'm the highest of the group. I love it the most. <laughs> all right, Mike, what is going on in the shrunken verse? All right, so for anybody, any of your listeners who are not familiar with the concept of the Tommy Westfall theory, this was developed by Dwayne McDuffie, a comic book writer, to point out the absurdity of using guest appearances in other shows to connect things. But people have taken it way too seriously now, which tends to happen when comic writers come up with goofy theories. Uh, but it needs to be said, there are a couple things that connect Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to other things. Uh, some of it okay. is within the films itself. For example... Uh, Citizen Kane and Raiders of the Lost Ark technically take place in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids universe because in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, they go to a warehouse where they walk past a crate that is holding the Rosebud sled and another crate that specifically says on it, uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is seen in the lab security warehouse in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid with a box having the same numerical code and everything, 9906753, except now also labeled Ark of the Covenant. So those two are just because of that movie. But where it all becomes a lot bigger is you have to go to the theme parks. So after Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, they created a second theme park attraction in Epcot. 
called Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. Now, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience takes place at the Imagination Institute. It was put into a theater as a 3D show to replace Captain EO because, well, you know. So they did that. Did you, have you done this, right? Have either of you been to Honey, I, I Shrunk the it's Audience? Been, it's been gone for like okay. almost a decade now, but I did ride it once upon a time. Now, this okay. takes place at the Imagination okay. Institute where they are awarding Inventor of the Year to Wayne Zielinski. This, uh, this award is being presented by the head of the Imagination Institute, who we all know is, let's say it together, Dr. Nigel Channing, played by Eric Idle. <laughs> Okay, so we're in the Imagination Institute. That's where this thing takes place. Uh, it is pre-Honey We Shrunk Ourselves. It's post-Honey I Blew Up the Kid because the little kid is involved. But that ride doesn't really matter as much as we get to the millennium. 1999, Michael Eisner wants to redo a bunch of the rides in Epcot in honor of the Millennium Celebration. So they decide to take a beloved attraction called Journey into Imagination that was originally hosted by a guy named the Dream Finder and a little dragon named Figment, and it taught you the magic of imagination. It had a song by the Sherman Brothers, and it was wonderful. And they decide to overhaul it completely and call it Journey into Your Imagination, which is now hosted by, that's right, Dr. Nigel Channing. Okay, we're all on board here. <laughs> Dr. Nigel Channing now hosts the ride. And this is the Imagination Institute. Now, people fucking hate this version of the ride because it takes all the magic and wonder out of it, but it does set all of the Imagination Pavilion in Epcot now in the Imagination Institute. When they decide, after two years, this ride is so unpopular, they decide to revamp it. It's now called Journey into Imagination with Figment. They enhance the queue, and part of the queue is showing you all the other people who work at the Imagination Institute. Now, the other people who work at the Imagination Institute include, as you can imagine, Wayne Zielinski, right? But along with it, Two different Professor Brainers. Both Robin Williams' Professor Brainerd in Flubber is depicted on a wall in a picture mm-hmm. holding his Flubber. And also many references to the original Professor Brainerd, Brainerd the absent-minded professor, Fred McMurray. Right. In to- on top of that, when you walk past an office, you see a jacket for Medfield College. Now, we all remember that Medfield College is, of course, the setting for both the Dexter Riley film starring Kurt Russell and the Merlin Jones films. Uh, that we all remember so well, The Misadventures of Merlin Jones and Monkey's Uncle. We all know this. Um, So, and let's not forget, Medfield also technically the setting for the Shaggy Dog because it's the setting for the Shaggy DA. So we've now already established that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids exists in the same universe as the Merlin Jones films, The Absent-Minded Professor, The Shaggy DA, and Dexter Riley. But that's not all because we also need to address the fact that on top of all of that, in the second Absent-Minded Professor movie, Son of Flubber, uh, we get an appearance from a tax assessor. That tax assessor is playing the same character. Bob Sweeney is playing the same character of the tax assessor that he played in the George Burns and Gracie Allen show. So the George Burns and Gracie Allen show, of course, also takes place in the <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids cinematic universe. <laughs> We're all following this, right? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, no. this is true. This George Burns and Gracie Allen show... That's George, where Kenny George tapped George Crazy Allen, Allen show, I assume, is sketch comedy. No, it's sitcom. Go ahead. You're right. Okay. I mean, you're right. I believe you. Go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, let's get into this. Now, on top of that, we do have an interesting thing in here, uh, which is, let me just find this little hiccup here. Okay. So, in the mm. Absent-Minded Professor movies, we get a character played by Keenan Wynn, who's named Alonzo Hawk. Now, Alonzo Hawk also appears in the motion picture Herbie Rides Again, which means that the entirety of the Herbie films are all also, by virtue of being connected to the absent-minded professor films, that through the Imagination Institute and Epcot... Epcot Wait, does that mean the Lindsay Lohan movies are also in Correct, Phil, correct. And it's just one film, but yes, you are absolutely correct. Those are all connected to the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids 
universe. I mean, that tracks. That makes sense, obviously. So, to -hmm. give you guys the full rundown of everything that exists, I have it written out here, everything that exists in chronological order in the Honey, (laughs) I Shrunk-a-verse, we have... 1941 Citizen Kane by virtue of Rosebud showing up. The George and Burns Gracie Allen show by virtue of the tax assessor showing up in the absent-minded professor. Okay. 1959, The Shaggy Dog by virtue of the Shaggy DA, of course. 1961, The Absent-Minded Professor. Professor Brainerd is in the Imagination Institute. 1963, Son of Flubber by virtue of being a sequel to The Absent-Minded Professor. 1964, The Misadventures of Merlin Jones because Merlin Jones' name is said over loudspeaker in the Imagination Institute. 1965, The Monkey's <laughs> Uncle by virtue of Merlin Jones. 1968, The Love Bug by virtue of Herbie Rides Again. 1969, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes because of the Medfield Jacket in uh, Medfield jacket, college jacket in the Imagination Institute, as well as a sign that says no tennis shoes to be worn. Uh, also, fun fact, in the 1998 <laughs> film Soldier, it is listed that Kurt Russell's character wins the Dexter Riley Award, which is named after his character Dexter Riley from the computer wore tennis shoes. 1972, now you see him, now you don't, in the Medfield college jacket. 1974, Herbie rides again because of Keenan wins Alonzo Hawk. 1975, the strongest man in the world from the Medfield college jacket. Shaggy DA from the Medfield college jacket. 1977, Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. 1980, Herbie goes bananas. 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark because of the Ark of the Covenant. Honey, I blew up the kids. 1982, Herbie the Love Bug TV series. 1982, Knight Rider TV show because in Herbie Fully Loaded, which is the Lindsay Lohan one, it mentions that Herbie used to hang out with Knight Rider. So yeah. Knight Rider is in there as oh, well. All right. So, <laughs> 1984, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom for the Raiders of the Lost Dark. 1987, The Magical World of Disney, The Return of the Shaggy Dog, again by virtue of the Shaggy Dog. 1989, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 1989, also Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade by virtue of the Raiders of the Lost Dark. Connection, 1990, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set Adventure. 1992, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. 1992, Indian, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, obviously. 1994, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, replacing Captain EO. 1997, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, which is the sole directorial credit of Dean Cundey, cinematographer on Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit, a number of John Carpenter films, also released directed video, and the last Rick Moranis live-action role until that mobile commercial. 1997, Flubber, also connected, obviously. <laughs> 1997 to 2000, that is, of course, my beloved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show. Uh, 1997, <laughs> Herbie the Love Bug, the remake starring uh, Bruce Campbell. 1999, Journey into Your Imagination. 2002, Journey into Imagination with Figment. 2005, Herbie Fully Loaded by Virtue of Herbie Rides Again. And the most recent film in the Shrunkiverse as of now, 2008's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, again by virtue of the Ark of the Covenant. Until, of course, we get shrunk. That was was psychotic. (laughs) (laughs) That was... Uh, I am so happy I was here for that. God, I hope that fucking goes viral. Um, Listen, hey, hey, Josh, Josh, if you're listening, no one really, no one has hired me for anything. I'll, I'll do whatever you want on Shrunk, Josh, if you're listening. Well, that was, I mean, that was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I, I I know that, you know, the real fans are going to listen to the subsequent, I would can only assume will be 90 minutes to two hours of you talking about the television there's, show, which we... There's three pages, and I might add more. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, will be, which will be tacked on to the end of this episode. <laughs> um, uh, so we will... Kenny's going to... Kenny's leaving I'm, us. I'm going to leave. Okay. Great to see you as always, Mike. Great to see you as always, buddy. fans. Patreons, patrons. Bye. <laughs> patrons. Um, but uh, I, I will speak for Kenny when I say that we are unbelievably thankful for you coming on this episode to talk about this movie. We can't wait. Truly can't wait to have you back on the 99, to have you back on the regular feed. We'll find some shitty movie that what you'll would- be willing to do far too much research on. <laughs> 
now we have uh, an let's let's call it an, an addendum, uh, a, a an extended deep dive that uh, our guest Mike Natale was kind enough to do for us. Uh, we mentioned it obviously in the episode as well, but uh, yeah, I mean, he just he he went uh, he went to the mat for this for this movie, and uh, and 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 I would expect nothing less of him. Um, but here is his uh, his individual efforts uh, to kind of. Uh, unpack Honey, I Tried the Kids. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Natale. Uh, you know me from uh, the Pokemon episode of podcast Like It's 1999. Uh, maybe you know me from my own podcast, uh, You're Missing Out, where we're going through the films of the National Film Registry, though, judging by the numbers, that's probably a, a smaller circle uh, that know me from that. But most likely you know me from the patreon episode of podcast like it's 1989 about honey i shrunk the kids which you just finished listening to i probably should have led with that looking back but anyway i'm here we had some uh, issues and some timing things going on during the podcast uh which meant we couldn't get to some things so phil graciously offered me uh some time at the end of the podcast to talk about the larger world of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, particularly the three-season-long Honey, I Shrunk the Kids television show. Uh, the show is set between Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the first film, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, because in the show they do not have the third child yet. Uh, however, the show came out after all three films. Uh, the first episode aired on September 1st, 1997, and the final episode aired May 20th, 2000. Uh, it was canceled after three seasons, not because it was performing poorly, but because there was a thing called the 65 episode rule. The 65 episode rule was a controversial rule that uh, applied to all Disney television shows. Now, this one uh, ran in syndication, uh, so that's even more true. Uh, but it applied to all its television shows, particularly in the late 90s and early 2000s, stating that no show can go beyond 65 episodes, which constituted about two or three seasons. Uh, this rule angered many Disney Channel fans due to the fact that many shows had been canceled while they still had a large fan base. Things like Lizzie McGuire and even Steven suffered from that. Uh, the cutoff point of 65 episodes may have more to do with programming schedules than any personal feelings about a series on the part of studio executives, because with 65 episodes, one episode could be broadcast each weekday, reaching the 65th episode at the end of the 13th week, five times th 13 equaling 65, 13 weeks is a quarter of a year. So four 65 episode shows can be broadcast in a calendar year. Uh, but this takes place in between the two first two films. Uh, I don't know. Uh, honestly, it's been a little while since we recorded the episode. I don't remember how much we touch on the three films in general, but it's worth noting. First film was a surprising hit. Uh, then the second film, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, had a bigger budget. Kind of didn't perform as well. And then when it came time to make a third film, uh, what they ultimately did is they made it a direct-to-video sequel. Rick Moranis returned. Nobody else from the core cast returned. Um... It was one of the very few live-action direct-to-video sequels that Disney made at this time. You may remember uh, things like Return of Jafar uh, and Aladdin, Prince of... Aladdin, King of Thieves. Not Prince of Thieves. Uh, Aladdin, King of Thieves uh, was direct-to-video. Well, this was a direct-to-video sequel. Uh, Rick Baranis, uh returns. Uh, he's the only one. It's a real downgrade 
Um, but a uh, noted celebrity who I hinted at in the episode, Allison Mack, is in the, sh- the uh, third film, and it's weird. Uh, Carrie Russell's in the second one, too. I don't know if I mentioned that in the episode. So it's an interesting uh, lineup. But the show uh, is probably my favorite piece of Honey, I Shrunk media. It finds the family moving to the town of Matheson, Colorado, um, and has, for the first season a fully animated opening sequence just like the movie which i thought was so great uh and they get rid of that in the second and third season for reasons that i don't understand uh obviously nobody from the movies is in the show instead uh the role of wayne Zelinsky is taken on by peter scolari uh from bosom buddies and now people have seen him on gotham and he won an emmy for girls uh in the role of diane Zelinsky. Uh, Barbara Allen Woods, who most people know from the show One Tree Hill and will now be in the upcoming uh, continuation of the Chucky franchise on television. Amy Zielinski is played by actress Hilary Tuck. And Nick Zielinski is played by Thomas Decker, who was also John Connor on the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, so those are people taking over the roles. And I got to say, they're all a lot of fun. You know, if you watch the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids films, some of the cast can be a little stiff. Everybody just rolls with it. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, there is a the Quark, the dog, uh, returns in the show. But for some weird reason, uh, they use a big dog uh, named Matisse in the first season. Uh, the actor's name Matisse. Uh, and then they replace him in the second season, second and third season, with a much smaller dog. Uh, I couldn't figure this out. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned this in the episode. Uh, I actually uh, <laughs> used Cameo to ask Barbara Allen Woods, the actress played Diane Zielinski, what happened there. And she didn't know either. Uh, so I'm going to bounce around a little bit because I took notes on every episode. We're going to talk about some weird and interesting things that happened in there. And I'll probably uh, trim this down so it's not nine hours long. Uh, I do mention in the episode, I do talk about the grand unified Honey, I Shrunk the Kids universe because Journey into Imagination with Figment ties the computer that wore tennis shoes into Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. However, in the third episode of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, we find Wayne renting a copy of the computer that wore tennis shoes. So they simultaneously take place in the same universe, and also uh, also, the film exists in the universe. Uh, that's kind of just a stretch you got to do. The show gets very uh, self-referential. There's a lot of references to Bosom Buddies, and Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, despite Scolari being in the show. But I want to talk about this. The fourth episode is where things got real bonkers. The fourth episode is where I decided I was going to watch all of these and talk about this because the first three episodes are pretty standard. You know, if your premise is a, a show where a dad can do science and you have experiments and wacky stuff happen, okay, and there's some rep because it's 97. There's some references. One of their neighbors is an alien conspiracy theorist who's like a riff on Chris Carter because aliens show up and it goes beyond just the shrinking. But the fourth episode is the kind of weird that could only exist in uh, in this era. Fourth episode has a standard plot. Uh, at first, uh, Amy, the daughter who's the teenager, and in the first two seasons, they make her like a very kind of I don't know, awkward teenage girl, and then uh, they sort of uh, mature her up in the third season, uh, both both uh, costuming-wise and just 
character wise. But in this one, she has a crush on her teacher. Uh, you know, standard plot you do on these shows, except in this, uh, she uses uh, a time machine that Wayne Zielinski built to travel back to the seventies to hook up with her teacher when he was a teenager. Uh, and she does. So that was the point where I knew, uh, we were in for some fun. Uh, you know, and then uh, the fifth, the, I'll say this, the, the budget on the first season is a lot higher than the other two. You can kind of feel it. It's a very different kind of vibe. Uh, the next episode after that, the fifth episode introduces, uh, that Wayne has a brother, uncle randy Zelinsky, also known as randy rude the science dude who's a spoof of bill nye and beekman this episode he's played by uh character actor tom mcgowan but i am to be credits joel mccrary who would go on to play randy in future seasons because the show takes a again a weird shift and it's also worth noting uh this is another brother to wayne because of course wayne's brother gordon Zelinsky is introduced uh played by Stuart pankin in honey we shrunk ourselves uh the fifth episode also has a prolonged sequence in a mcdonald's that is insanely pro mcdonald's uh later on they bring in academy award nominee paul williams to play a leprechaun uh by we get to episode nine and we find out that wayne's shrink ray and all of wayne's other inventions are powered by tiny pieces of a meteor he found in college which he calls zelinskyite but the meteor was actually secretly given to him by an alien named arnox that Wayne first met when he was an adult and traveled back to the Old West to help the alien get home. And then the alien went and found Wayne when he was younger. Their timelines uh, are off, you see. It's, it's like Tenet or, or River Song on Doctor Who. A lot of weird uh, political references throughout the show, too. Uh, it's worth noting. Uh, jokes about G. Gordon Liddy and Rush Limbaugh. Uh, also, a weirdly horny show. Uh, weirdly, weirdly horny show. Uh, you know, in, in the films, it's very, very chaste, but in this lot of references to how much Wayne and Diane, who they, they emphasize what a jawline Scolari has. Scolari was an athlete, so I guess that makes sense, but uh, they emphasize how in shape the two of them are. And there are so many references to the two of them just going at it. There's uh, an episode in the second to last episode of season one, uh, where the Diane and Nick and Wayne's boss, all get lizard parts and wayne fixes everybody else but diane and diane says what about my lizard tongue and wayne winks and says we have all day tomorrow for that and they just start making out it was a just weirdly uh horny uh season one of the show uh ends with a cliffhanger uh about some type of men in black illuminati organization who are trying to go after the Selinskis. this is never brought up again in any of the future seasons so that's kind of left uh, a hanging thread also amy has a bully in the first season named tiara played by uh, jewel state who would later uh, play kaylee fry on firefly uh we also uh don't uh, see her again so it seems like between seasons one and two they did like a big retooling uh i personally like season one uh, a lot i had a lot of fun watching it i watched it when i was a kid um and I'll, I'll get to that. There were a couple episodes that stuck out to me, but I, I watched it when I was a kid, and I thought it was fun, and uh, watching it again this time, uh, I really enjoyed it. Season one had a lot going on, but I guess they wanted to rework it. Uh, so season two changes some things around. Uh, there's a new tone that's a lot more dramatic in the second season. Like, there's a lot of... 
I don't want to say Seventh Heaven because obviously that feels weird now, but but you remember like those uh, late '90s, like every show had to be like a family show that had like dramatic music, and every plot line had to be about like, well, our son's not doing well in school. It does a lot of that. They also introduce a new neighbor uh, called the Chief, who's played by George Buza. Buza, I might not be pronouncing that correctly, but he's a uh, Canadian character actor who voiced Beast on X-Men the Animated Series. Isn't that wild? Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, and he's one of the truckers in the 2000 X-Men movie. I should note that. It's a nice little uh, homage. Uh, but he appears uh, as the chief. He is the police chief in the town who lives next door to Lizlinski's, and he's just not having any of Wayne's antics. So you can tell they're trying to give like a bit of a wacky neighbor. The show's a lot less madcap in the second season, which is a bummer. But uh, they also kind of uh, already bit wonky uh, in the second season. There's an extended musical sequence where Barbara Allen Woods is asked to sing Hey Big Spender to distract a general. Uh, you start to feel like things are a little off. However, I did uh, find a great episode that I remembered from when I was a kid as I was watching this, which is all these urban legends, Wayne Intense a machine that makes all these urban legends come to life. Uh, and that episode was legitimately terrifying when I was a kid. And it turns out uh, that that episode is directed by Stuart Gordon, uh, the director behind Reanimator, uh, who originally conceived the idea of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, before uh, Joe Johnston signed on to direct it. Uh, season two, episode eight, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, Brett and Owen Hart appear as themselves for a wrestling themed episode. Brian Cranston shows up. Uh, in an episode that references both Bosom Buddies and Newhart, uh, for the younger listeners, Newhart was the second Bob Newhart show uh, that Peter Scolari was also on. Uh, they also do a full Rocketeer homage in one episode, which is obviously a tip of the hat to Joe Johnston, which is very cool. Oh, I, I should know, in season two, episode 17, I, I noticed there's a reference to uh, Silence of the Lambs, and it got me thinking, hey, you, you, remember how, you remember how kids shows used to reference adult things and that's kind of how we as young people knew what that was we had like a cultural touchstone on that right i mean there's references to silence lambs dead poet society there were so many things in the 90s that referenced like adult movies um that we probably weren't seeing as kids but then we understood the reference points um anyway uh season two episode 19 doesn't it's a wonderful life parody to do a clip show episode but they also have a character who's a parody of the sandman from the neil gaiman comics who also invokes his brother death in a reference to meet Joe Black. There's a lot going on. Also, midway through season two, the actor who plays uh, Wayne's boss, Jennings, is inexplicably replaced on and off for several episodes. I don't know if he was shooting something else or not. But season two, kind of hit and miss. Season three is worth noting because season three, mostly a miss. Uh there's it's just it's clear that the writing slipped it's clear they were kind of running out of steam however it starts with perhaps the best episode of the entire series this fun little episode um where wayne um is desperately trying to remember a song that he heard on their version of the ed sullivan show uh, called pop time and he'd never heard it uh he'd never heard it on the radio he'd never heard it since he just remembered that a band came on they remember that he uh, they came on and sang the song. Uh, so Wayne travels back in time to go to the theater and hear it performed live. Uh, and it turns out that the song that he remembered hearing 
was only ever performed once uh, by a Soviet group of Soviet spies posing as a British invasion band to brainwash Americans through the song One, Two, Three, Be Mine. Um, it's very funny. Uh, a lot of time travel jokes, really, really good. And, uh, and, and it really just kind of elevates the show a bit because, uh, a lot of good humor in that. Uh, so I was, I was delighted by this, uh, but then there's just like weird episodes where they're doing an homage to Melvin and Howard. Uh, they start doing a lot of real hacky stuff. There's a real tasteless episode. That's a parody of Kung Fu movies. You can probably imagine where that's going. They start repeating plot lines. They do two different episodes about a criminal who happens to look like Wayne replacing Wayne. It's it's just real fucking weird. Perhaps second to last episode of season three feels more like a finale than the actual final episode. The second to last episode resolves a lot of plot lines. Amy gets a real steady boyfriend. The chief gets engaged. Most interestingly, Diane reveals that she's pregnant, uh, which sets up the third kid that appears in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, and the actual finale just involves Wayne writing a detective story and imagining all of the family in roles in a film noir with a guest appearance by Adrian's Med. It's it's weird, and it's a, it's a weird note for the show to end on, uh, considering they seem to be wrapping it up into that second-to-last episode. I don't know if that's a situation where they meant the second-to-last episode to be the finale, and then they just changed the airing order. But whatever the case may be, it's a weirdly interesting show. I'm surprised it's not on Disney+. Plus. I hope they put it up uh, because right now the only way you can watch it is by buying it on YouTube, which I did. Um, don't regret it, but I'm also not sure how often I'm going to be watching three seasons of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think it, it really depends on uh, how long the waning days of the pandemic last. So what I wanted to do to leave you off on this, if you had any curiosity about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show is I'm going to name three episodes that are worth your time. Uh, If you are curious about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show and you're only looking to uh, spend a few bucks to check it out, may I recommend season three, episode one called Honey, Name That Tune. It's the one I mentioned above about uh, Wayne going back to the Ed Sullivan type show and foiling a Soviet plot. It's very funny. It's very clever. Uh, They clearly put a lot of work into it. It is directed, however, by John Landis, who is also an executive producer on the TV show. You can figure out why that might be an issue for some people, but the episode is very, very good. Uh, if you're looking for another one, season one, episode five, Honey, I Shrunk the Science Dude is worth checking out. That's the uh, McDonald's heavy one introducing Randy with the Science Dude. That is directed by Savage Steve Holland, who's the director of Better Off Dead. And... If I can make one more recommendation, the one that scared the piss out of me as a kid, uh, Honey, Let's Trick or Treat, Season 2, Episode 4, which is directed by Stuart Gordon uh, from Reanimator fame. Uh, Those are the three I would recommend checking out. Uh, I do enjoy the series. Uh, I think everybody's a great cast, good stuff. Uh, If you check out this episode and you like it, feel free to hit me up uh, on Twitter at NKOAS and tell me your thoughts. This is the part where I should probably uh, plug the show that I do which is called You're Missing Out. Uh, So if you're interested in classic film and trying to figure out why these films are considered part of the canon, uh, please stop by You're Missing Out. Uh, Check out the show and subscribe, and we'll be back with season two uh, at some point. I don't quite have a timeline. Uh, Thank you guys so much for checking out, sticking around, listening to this. Uh, Check out Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show. It's a lot of fun. Peter Scolari's good. 
people should put Pooja's glory in more things. I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Anyway, thank you guys for your time. Check out the show. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1989. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.